Hey everyone, time for yet another episode here on Vasculitis Visionaries. Ben and Kaylee back with you. Uh, excited for our guest today uh, because, and Kaylee, you can kind of relate to our guest, uh, somebody who has uh, multiple perspectives in the vasculitis field as both a patient and somebody who, uh, well, I know you have your, uh, your master's in public health, Kaylee. She, in it, Dr. Velma Mockett, our guest has gone a little further than that, uh, is now a mental health practitioner and licensed psychotherapist who has uh, more than a decade of mental health expertise. So that's really what the, uh, the conversation today will, uh, will focus on. And uh, yeah, Kaylee, you have that, uh, that in common. I'm sure it's like such an empowering, special thing to study the exact same thing that is happening to you. And that's certainly, I mean, for mental health, that's, that's a part of, uh, of vasculitis. So I, I know you can relate a lot to what Dr. Mockett is doing. And I'm sure she's someone uh, cool for you to look up to who's in, been in her career now for 15, 20 years and has done, uh, done a lot for the community for sure. Definitely. I think it's always really exciting to be able to take your professional passions and kind of combine them with things that are going on in your life. I think a lot of people do that, whether or not they're actually, you know, vasculitis patients. But I think in particular for this community, it means a lot to have someone like Dr. Mockett, who not only can speak to her background in um, therapy and mental health, uh, she has both her master's and her PhD, as you mentioned, uh, in these topics, and can also then talk about, as a patient, what has it meant for her to to have mental health care and to prioritize that as part of her holistic care. Yeah, and she is uh, a, a guest of ours coming from Calgary, so in Canada, where she has helped establish the Cal- Calgary Vasculitis uh, Associate, which is a a, a chapter of the Canada Vasculitis Foundation, uh, who we obviously know very well. They've done a lot of uh, a lot of great work there. So this is one of those episodes that's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of information <laughs> in it. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think you guys will all uh, enjoy it listening. A lot of really good content that uh, Dr. Mockett has to share with us. So there's a lot to get to. Let's just get right into it. Dr. Velma Mockett joining us here on Vasculitis Visionaries. Let's welcome in now to the Vasculitis Visionaries podcast, our next guest in Dr. Velma Mockett, who joins us from lovely Calgary in Alberta, Canada. I believe our first uh, our guest from Canada. I know with the Vasculitis Foundation, though, we have a lot of, of our friends uh, north of the border. So it is, it is great to have you uh, along. I mean, I, actually, I don't know if, if Calgary and and in general, Canada has gotten this much attention, at least in my world, uh, Dr. Mockett, in the sports world with uh, the NHL having their their leagues there. So I don't know if either of you guys are NHL fans, but I have I have been weirdly watching a lot of sporting events in uh, in Canada over the, over the past couple of weeks. As weird as that is, as weird as that is to say. <laughs> well, I am really not a big hockey fan. I do watch hockey, but mainly when it's the Olympics. And ah. I'm more of a tennis fan. <laughs> Ten, all right, there we go. Well, we 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 do have something in common there. I'm a big uh, big tennis guy. Um, I know our our listeners are are obviously more academic. They don't really care about the sports as much, but you know, I, I had to give a, a shout out to that because it's it's a it's a big thing. Uh, but but we are glad we are glad you could take some time to uh, to join us despite all of the craziness that is uh, that is going on. And as we we kind of talked about in the uh, introduction with uh, with Kaylee and I, I think we're really excited to get. The uh, the multiple perspectives that, that you have on uh, on everything and and uh, some of that was was sort of uh, 
on display when, when you spoke at the symposium, the VF symposium last summer in, uh, in Rochester, Minnesota. But I know, I mean, for Kaylee and I both, Kaylee, you can speak to this too. Uh, the, the whole, I mean, all, all these different holistic notions have, have had big impacts on our own uh, vasculitis journeys as patients. But, uh, but mental health is something that uh, it, it's, it's almost, uh, I don't know, it's sort of like prednisone, you know, how everybody has to deal with, with prednisone as a <laughs> vasculitis patient. Everybody has to also deal with uh, mental health. I mean, no matter who you are, but especially uh, in our cases, um, I mean, Kaylee, I, I know we've, we've talked about this, uh, about this in the past. And so that's, uh, I think, a big reason why getting your, uh, your type of thoughts on this are, are, are really important just to kind of advance the discussion. So I know the thing too, with, that, uh, that, that gives you that multiple you know, abilities of perspective is, is that you're also a patient and you were diagnosed back in 2015. So I know a lot of times we've, we've brought our guests on and, and uh, especially physicians and said, all right, take me to the start of wherever your interest, your involvement with vasculitis began. And so with, with you, I just say, let, let's go back to your initial diagnosis and, and you're somebody who had already had, you know, you had your, your master's and your PhD and experience in the uh, the psychology field and studying this sort of stuff, so how did your own intersection with with mental health upon being diagnosed? Uh, how how did that work, and and how did this kind of blossom into something where you you all of a sudden started looking intrinsically and, and started trying to use your own experiences into uh, having a, a positive impact on the the community as a whole? Well, as you know, when you're diagnosed with something new, something rare, something strange. A lot of things go through your mind. So I think um, for me, when I first got diagnosed, I literally spent an hour in my car just sitting in the parking lot trying to process what I, you know, what we just discussed and um, with my rheumatologist and sort of trying to kind of figure out, like, what exactly is this? Um, You know, do I know anyone with this? Have I, you know, I have not heard of this before. Like, you know, just trying to kind of figure out, like, you know, what does this mean? Um, overall in the context of my life. I think as the month went on, you know, I began to really kind of see the true nature of vasculitis sort of evolving in many, many ways that I didn't anticipate. At first I thought, you know, well, now that I have a diagnosis, great. Now we know what it is, then I'm going to get some medication and um, I'm going to feel better. It's going to be all under control. But of course, as you know, that's not how it all unfolded. So I literally had to sort of learn how to sort of manage that, but also keep working. And um, at the time, I was a clinical manager, just sort of managing people, um, other psychologists and other, you know, sort of social workers, different people, clinicians with different sort of mental health background. And, and you kind of think about, you know, how do you manage people and be there for them while you are sort of trying to manage a complex disease that you don't know very much about? I don't think I knew anyone with vasculitis or ever heard of it. I don't think any of my friends or even family members knew what vasculitis was. So it was a very strange world for me. So I, I think I had a bit of internal struggles that went unnoticed for a while, particularly the grief part of it. But one of the things that I think worked out really well for me is because I dealt with a number of different specialists, um, I had one specialist suggested that I talk to someone and, and, and one of the things she said to me was, I know you're a mental health person and I know you know a lot 
but I think it's important for you to have your own space that's separate from your family or your friends that you can vent and that's separate from seeing us as far as, as, you know, specialists. So you can vent and you can talk about what's going on for you. I think that's really important. A lot of times as, you know, specialists in, you know, an expertise in a different field, we neglect our own health and well-being. And I would like for you to not do that because you're going to need all the strength um, to go through this process. So at first, of course, I resisted. And then I was like, well, I don't really need to talk to anyone. I I think I'm doing okay. And I have lots of friends that are, you know, mental health specialists and I can talk to them. And she's like, no, I would like you to consider having someone that's outside of your friends, your friendship circle or your family. That's just because it'll give you the privacy that you can just be as open as you want and as bold as you want. So she sort of introduced me to someone um, at the time and I honestly told the person I didn't want to talk to anyone. But what really struck me about her was that she just sat in the room very quietly with me, didn't say anything, and recognized that I just needed time to process everything that I just heard and just sat there for about 25 minutes to an hour with me and did not intrude and invade in my space. And I think I gain a lot of respect for her because of that. When someone can sit in your silence and they can just be there with you, that is very powerful. And I think a lot of us, we sort of ignore that because we expect people to talk all the time. But I think the part that we don't think about is, you know, when someone sits in your silence with you, they're connecting with you at a deeper level, more than any word could even express sometimes, right? So sometimes silence is really golden and I really appreciated that. And I think that got me to trust, to begin the trust process with her. I came, I, I took her card and went back for another session. Didn't say much in the second session, but again, was just happy to just have that space to just sort of not at work and just breathe. And I think as I started exploring the disease with her and started to figure out like, what exactly is this disease? I started doing some research and she was doing research for me as well. And just sort of asking me really pertinent questions that I would have probably asked a client, but maybe not asked myself. Um, that really got me sort of thinking outside the scope of me as a clinician, but also as a patient. I think when I was with her, I was no longer Velma, the mental health expert, or Velma, the, you know, the therapist. I was Velma, the patient. And I think that was a very interesting perspective for me to, you know, sort of take on and to begin to see myself as a patient with a disease and not Velma as a mental health expert in, in those circumstances. And because I was able to do that, I, it opened up a space for me to just explore with her the questions she was asking me. And I think she figured out that I loved writing and I was very good at writing. So she really capitalized on, on my capacity and skills for writing and would ask me really deep questions that I would have to write about. And we, I would come back and we would discuss my, my writing and just sort of like have discussions about it and so she really pushed me to explore my feelings and my emotions and I think one of the my favorite you know experiences with her that I recall is just sort of talking about emotions and what they are and how I had experienced all the different emotions and just being able to just dissect every single emotion and talk about the language of my emotion talk about you know what it meant for me talk about the expectation the weight of the expectation that you typically feel when you are ill with friends or family or just by your, the weight of the expectation you put on yourself um, and, you know, how you process emotions and what society think emotions should and shouldn't be. But what I 
view emotion as and, and, and how they play a pivotal role in, in my life and how I was processing things. So I think all of those things sort of like got me to that path where I gained a lot of interest in vasculitis. I began to kind of see that something not to be afraid of, but something for me to be curious about and something for me to learn more about in order for me to sort of modulate my emotions, but also manage the disease very well so that I didn't assume an identity, an illness identity. I didn't see myself as vasculitis, but I would have, I would see myself as someone impacted by a disease as opposed to someone that is a disease, right? So that, that became critically important to me. And as I, I began to sort of navigate that process, I realized that there was a space and there was a gap that a lot of times when you go to different specialist offices, different doctors, everybody talk about, you know, all the medical aspects of vasculitis, they talk about medication. I mean, there's, you don't have a lot of time in a doctor's office and there's just so much to talk about, so many questions to ask. And mental health is just the neglected factor in, in vasculitis discussion. Even at the symposium, for example, that was a neglected factor. Um, we just don't talk about mental health, but mental health is, critical in any disease management and you know in particular with the way vasculitis can evolve is it's really important that we think about you know the mental health aspect of things i think that's what got me on the path of just being very interested in vasculitis research very interested in in how vasculitis is manifesting for people in how people are sort of like accommodating you know, the disease in, in their life space and, and in just how they're processing mentally, you know, the impact of vasculitis in their life on, on their caregivers and their families, their friends and, and things like that. So that got me there. And then, and then I think to have a really good rheumatologist. So uh, my rheumatologist also approached me and sort of talked about the fact that she wanted to start a vasculitis association in Calgary, but needed the support and help of, you know, patients with vasculitis and um, whether or not I would help her to begin the process. So, of course, I jumped on that idea because I love research and I love um, to knowledge translation and knowledge sharing. So I saw this as an opportunity to really kind of share with other people, you know, the mental health implications of, you know, vasculitis. And, and, and you know, my my therapist also began to encourage me to do that more and more. She started encouraging me um, to share my work that I was writing with her and started asking for my permission to share my work with other patients and felt that other people would benefit from the things that I was writing. So I think all of those things sort of motivated me to really kind of show more interest in vasculitis and, and really become more curious about it and not afraid of it. And in that sense, I think many people, when we are impacted by a, you know, a, really complex and chronic illness, some things like vasculitis, like cancer, like, you know, lupus, all of those kinds of illnesses, we tend to get really afraid of those illnesses and we tend to identify ourselves as the illness and we think that this is it, you know, this this becomes who we are. But I think there's much more, you know, to that and I see myself as much more than the sum of vasculitis or any other illness that I have. I, I see those things as you know, something that's impacting my life, but it's not who I am. And and so I can still shine and I can still sort of like show myself, even in the depths of those those sort of like complications, I can still be who I am without having to think that this is who I am. So I think that's kind of like what I want to, like patients with vasculitis to really understand is that, yes, it is complicated and yes, it's challenging. And yes, it's, it is something that really changes the plot of your life. 
And it, and it does change the plot in your life. The story changes and you have to rewrite a new story. You have to start a new chapter, but it's still not the end and it's still not, you know, who you are. And so it's important to sort of understand that and, and how you can sort of like transition and navigate, you know, those spaces. So I think that's kind of how I got really involved in vasculitis work and um, having spoken to Joyce and having met Joyce from the Vasculitis Foundation and just having some discussions with her. I think she's such a wonderful lady to start off. And I think that that has also just motivated me to want to do more as well. And when you talk to other people, I've had the opportunity to talk to other people with vasculitis. Um, I remember being in the hospital, I think in 2016, and um, I was in a semi-private room and the, the woman who was next to me had just received the news that that she had vasculitis. And after the specialist left, she was just overwhelmed and didn't know what to think. And one of the things she said to me is like, I don't even know what this is. And I don't even understand, you know, what's going on. So I just smiled and she's like, and she was curious about why I was smiling. And I said to her, I'm not minimizing what you're going through. I'm just smiling because I have vasculitis. Uh, and she's like, what? I'm like, so I can tell you what it is and I can talk to you about some of the things to expect. And so we went for a bit of a walk and I just sort of talked to her about it. Uh, and you can just see the, the relief on her face. And she was just so grateful. And to this day, we still speak. And, I, and I've just had the opportunity to meet many, you know, vasculitis patients and to just be able to share some knowledge and to translate, you know, knowledge with them and, you know, my experiences with them and to see you know, their life transformed from being fearful to being more sort of, you know, appreciative of knowing more about vasculitis and of being able to know that they can take control of their life. So I think, you know, all of those things really sort of drive my my motivation and, and drive me to wanting people to know more about mental health. I think there's been too many stigma about mental health in society, and I, and I really want to destigmatize emotions and mental health and, and the way that we think about emotions and, and, and mental health in general. And, and I want to bring light to the mental health aspect of chronic illness, particularly vasculitis. I want people to understand that, yes, it's going to impact our psychological health and well-being, but it doesn't have to overwhelm us. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, sort of like the center stage of our life, that, that we can, you know, work together to manage the symptoms of the mental health symptoms of vasculitis. And I want doctors to understand that when a client is, is sitting in front of you, the client is not just a disease. The client is just not just a case. It's a person with feelings, with emotions, with thinking, you know, just like the doctor is a person with emotions and thinking and feelings. So it's like, you know, talk to the patients about, you know, how are they feeling? And when a patient is expressing to you that they're feeling depressed and things like that, um, don't discount that. Or, you know, ask them, have they, you know, grieved the loss of the many, the many losses that vasculitis will bring in, in their life? Ask questions. Um, try to understand that emotions are not something that are good or bad or right or wrong. And, and try to understand that it's okay for a patient to express that they have um, different emotions like anger or like fear or anxiety. You know, a number of patients have expressed to me that they just felt unheard by their doctors. They didn't feel supported or nobody told them that, you know, prednisone have huge um, side effects when it comes to psychological health and well-being. And, you know, how, 
shock they just would to just experience those kinds of things. So I think I, I just want, you know, the medical health field to understand that, you know, it is important for people to have outcomes that matter to them. And it's important to do things right. So I want them to think about, you know, how do we do this right? And how do we get clients to have outcomes that matter to them in, in the whole scope and in the whole process of vasculitis? So I think those are the kinds of things that, that I hope that you guys are going to bring out in this discussion. And I hope that in general that the podcast will shed light on as you guys move forward is that, you know, to destigmatize the, you know, mental health and to let people know that those are all part um you know, the experiences that they may have, but it doesn't mean that something's, you know, innately wrong with them. So, so yeah, so that's kind of how I, I got into this whole vasculitis sort of like world. And, and as I am discovering, it is, it is multi-layer and, and there are many routes to navigate, but I suppose no one ever said life would be easy. <laughs> I really appreciate that perspective um, as a patient, as a public health professional, um, especially just knowing, you know, what kind of conversations go on about mental health. Just from my perspective as a patient, uh, I very much felt like when I was getting diagnosed that my mental health had to come second because I really needed my body to cooperate (laughs) and not, you know, try to have all my organs fail. Uh, And so just kind of putting that on the back burner and even to the point where um, I was talking actually to a pharmaceutical company uh, a few months back and I had disclosed that, you know, growing up I did have an anxiety disorder. So I was talking about how that might even be compounded by vasculitis and what that could mean longer term. And it really shocked me that one of the first responses that the medical professionals in the room had was, oh, that's probably why it took you so long to get diagnosed, because everyone knew that you weren't a a reliable witness to your own health because of your mental health background. And I was just shocked that that was something that they were using to frame, you know, my reporting of symptoms and my narrative. And so I I really appreciate uh, your emphasis on reflecting on mental health and prioritizing mental health as opposed to just thinking of it as something that we can deal with later that we can kind of put off. Um, And I also appreciate your acknowledgement of kind of the negative emotions. You know, I I hate to say negative emotions, but the the less warm, fuzzy, you know, emotions that you want to share with your friends, because I do think that that comes up a lot in terms of diagnosis. And like you talked about the grief and the mourning and the confusion over the unknowns. And you've also talked about this uh, in your webinars and your workshops uh, and your writing. And you've discussed, you know, topics such as the loss associated with diagnosis, developing psychological resilience and how patients can do that uh, and how we should learn to regulate emotions and and how that actually comes into play in terms of our treatment. Uh, And so I just wanted to ask a little bit more about what this looks like in terms of day to day mental health care and practice um, from the patient perspective. So what are you know, what are things that we can do when we're considering our own mental health um, besides just self-advocacy? What should we be doing in terms of our own mental health care? And, and how is this helping us as patients? Well, I think, you know, like you rightly say, I mean, people think about emotions as something that is either right or wrong, either good or bad, negative or positive. And, and I say, no, emotions are not good or bad, right or wrong. They're not negative or positive. Emotions are what they are and we feel them. I mean, I once said to my therapist, I, when you don't want me, if people don't want me to feel, then that's dead people's goal. I'm not dead. I'm alive. I have to feel. And some days I will feel 
angry and some days I will feel anxious and some days I may feel even feel depressed and some days I may feel frustrated and I struggle quite a bit with irritability. And so it's, um, I think there's a plethora of, of emotions and emotions can happen on a continuum. And, you know, they're not permanent fixtures in our life. Emotions are, are temporary. They're not permanent and they're not who we are. Neither, neither are we are emotions. And I know in society we like to say my anxiety or my depression or I am an emotional person. I, and I, and I try to get, you know, my clients to, to not say things like that, to not identify themselves by, by their emotion. So instead of saying things like my anxiety or, you know, I am an emotional person, I, I say to them, why don't you try saying I feel anxious? Or, um, you know, I am feeling and experiencing simultaneous emotions right now. Um, because you can, you can, you know, kind of feel confused, but at the same time, be frustrated with the process, right? You can feel frustrated with the process. Um, so being able to kind of like express yourself in that way. And, and when you do that, you're sort of recognizing that, that you're not, you, you and your emotion are not one, right? It's not an innate, you know, personal characteristic flaw, because I think what your experience was, was someone made the fact that you had, um, you had been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. They made that like an innate characteristic and a personal flaw. And so therefore, any account of any other symptoms that you're given was not reliable. And that's that's sad and it's shameful that we still at this point in 2020 have to have those kinds of discussion. Um, you'd think by now the psychological world has evolved, the medical world has evolved, and that people would think differently. But I think we still have some of those old school type thinking that, you know, people are their emotions and, and their emotions are who they are. Right. And and so we still see that happening. So what I have what I have done in in sort of my experience and, and the way that I have gone through my the vasculitis experience is to really kind of think about emotion differently and to think about emotions as what they are, emotions. And they're not who I am. But recognize also that with any disease, um, especially when you have a chronic illness, you are going to experience a number of emotions and, and they're going to be probably experienced at a more intense level. And so it's the intensity of emotions that becomes unpleasant. Like so when you go to a doctor's office, they may say to you on a scale of one to ten, you know, how how bad is the pain? So I think what I have done and what I think most patients have to do is to sort of conceptualize emotion and say, okay, on a scale of one to 10, how intense is that emotional pain that I'm feeling? How intense is this anxiety that I'm feeling? And and so using that scale, you can kind of gauge how intense it's feeling and, and what needs to be done, right? So the understanding that your emotion will influence your thinking and, and also your behavior and also the way that you feel within your body as well, and which likely will mean that if you're experiencing high intensity of emotion and high stress, then that's not necessarily good for the physical health and well-being as well. So we already know that, right? Because doctors tell us that every day that stress is not good for health and well-being. So we know that. So, But, but emotion does influence all of those things. So it's not emotion in and of itself that is the issue. Sometimes it's the behavioral display that becomes problematic and destructive. And we don't necessarily see that. But the emotion itself on its own has no power. So um, it's just sort of thinking about when I feel, when I have been feeling irritable, I think about, you know, what is going on for me right now? Like, what am I feeling in my body? Am I hurting somewhere? Is the pain that I'm feeling more intense? Like, you know, did I get some bad blood test result? Like, you know, did I get some bad news? Like, you know, what is going on for me 
in my sort of vasculitis world that is causing such distress. And, and then that helps me to sort of dissect what I'm feeling. And then I can kind of think about, well, how can I better sort of regulate what I'm feeling right now? Do I need to sort of lie on the floor and do some deep breathing? Do I need to go for a walk? Do I, can I call a friend and go for coffee and talk about something completely different? Or do I need to make an appointment to see my therapist and just sort of talk it through? So there are numbers of ways that you can sort of work through those kinds of things. And emotions have their own language. They tell us different things. And so it's about, you know, are we attuned to what we are thinking, what we are feeling? Most people are not emotionally aware. And so, you know, they they express emotions, you know, through behaviors in very destructive ways. And which is why I think in society we tend to say some emotions are negative. So, for example, some people, when they feel angry, they express that in, in ways that are, that can be quite destructive, like slamming the door, throwing things and things like that. And so then we say, well, that person has anger management. So I say to my client, well, when you feel joyful, does anyone tell you of joy management <laughs> or happy management? No. Right. Um, if you felt joy and you felt hope and you felt happy, and you walk down the street just hugging random people, of course everyone is going to think something is kind of off about that. So likewise, when you feel angry and you do something, someone is going to feel something is off about the behavior. So it's the behavior that's the problem, that that is destructive. So I think my thing has been in just sort of teaching and guiding people to have more proactive, more you know constructive type behaviors, as opposed to you know, feeling when you feel overwhelmed, then you, you are a bit destructive, like isolating yourself from others or, you know, doing other things that, that are not necessarily conducive to your, your overall health and well-being. So that's sort of like how I think about it. So on a day to day, I kind of think about, you know, what do I need to do today to make sure that I am kind of getting through the day in, in at the optimum level? So I think about my optimum sort of like level of you know, functioning, how do I do that, you know, on a day to day. And sometimes it means that I have to sort of go through my day on an hour basis because I don't even have the energy to get past the room sometimes. So I have to say, okay, in the next hour, if I can get for the next hour, then I'll see what happens. So I sometimes will just set my alarm for an hour and see how I get for that hour. And if I get for that hour, I'm like, okay, I just got for that hour. And sometimes it's less than an hour. Sometimes I just need to get through half an hour or 15 minutes. And then that builds my confidence. If I can get through it, then I'm like, okay, then I can get for another 15 minutes and so on and so forth. So sometimes we kind of have that sort of abstract view of, oh my God, I can't get through through the day. How will I get through the week? And we start to kind of get ahead of ourselves. So I, I try to avoid this sort of hypothetical worry. I call them hypothetical worrying because we go, well, what if I don't get through the day? And what if I don't get through the week? So I just try to kind of stay in the moment. And I think it's really important to to be in the moment, to be grounded. So I use a lot of grounding strategy to help myself stay in the moment and to be mindful and pay attention to things as they're unfolding. So a nice thing that I use is my control circle. I will typically draw a control circle and I'll ask myself, what's within my control right now? And most times it's it's usually what's within your control is your own thoughts, your own feelings, your own sort of emotions and behaviors and um, your decisions, your actions. Those are the things that are within your control. And all the people's thoughts, feelings are not within your control. Your friends are going to think what, they, what they're going to think, irregardless. Um, people around you are going to think what they're going to think. And so I can't waste the limited energy that I have worrying about what other people are going to think about me or 
how I am processing or the emotions that I'm experiencing. I can only control what's within my circle. And so that helps me to really stay grounded in that moment. And it's difficult for friends and families to understand the emotions that you're feeling because, you know, and rightly so, they're not experiencing a chronic illness and a debilitating illness. They're not experiencing something that, you know, only a small percentage of people experience. So they, they're not experiencing that. So I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's okay that they don't necessarily get the full scope of what you're going through and they don't understand it. I mean, you get a lot of um, advice and some of them are great and some of them you kind of think, well, why, why are they telling me this? Do I need to have like a, a how-to manual for them sort of thing? So I've thought about all of those sort of things. But then I realized that I can't blame them for not knowing what vasculitis is. I can educate them. I can't blame them for not understanding how I feel because most people in society are not connected to their emotions. We are not very emotionally aware and we are afraid of emotions. So I can also educate them about emotions. And if I say I feel angry, it's not that I have anger management issues. And if I say I feel depressed, it's not because I am clinically depressed. It may be because of something that's happening in the moment. So it's situational depression or maybe being depressed because I'm grieving another loss. Right. So it's my job to explain those kinds of things to them. And I think we tip to our wrong sensitive things. We think it's it's not OK to talk about things like that. And most people are afraid because, you know, sometimes friends and family see us as being fragile because we are now sick and they don't want to intrude on that space and say anything. So they tiptoe around us. And, and then we in turn sort of walk on eggshell around them because we don't want to say anything. So I think it's it's really about transparency and being vulnerable and being okay and having a circle of trust and knowing who you can trust and be vulnerable with and being able to speak about those kinds of things, speak about emotions, speak about your losses. It's It's important to really acknowledge the losses. And then that's also critical. Most people associate loss with death and dying. And so, therefore, we don't grieve. It took me a while to grieve those losses um, because, like you said, you're trying to deal with the physical aspect. And, and I think in society we have that idea that we need to be strong. But one of the things I discover along the journey is I don't need to be strong. I am already strong. Um, just by the very nature of existing and, and having a disease and breathing and thinking, and you're already strong. You don't need to be strong again. So... I love, love, love Mandela's uh, definition of courage. Mandela once said that courage is fear walking. And, and that has played a really pivotal role in the way that I approach vasculitis. When I feel fearful, I don't judge that. When I feel angry, I don't judge that. When I feel irritable, I don't judge it. I just, I see, a, I just see the courage that I have in you know, going through this for the last five, six years. And I don't I don't think about that because I'm experiencing anger or because I'm experiencing anxiety that that I am not courageous. Or I'm not strong to be strong is to cry. It's to laugh. It's to acknowledge that you're feeling. It's to recognize that something is taxing your capacity. It's to recognize that you need help and it's to be vulnerable. That's being strong. And so I don't I don't sort of like let society define for me how I should be. So I think that has played a huge role in, in the way that I am. And I also think about the people that are in my life. And 
you will have people in your life that are very supportive and some people that are very negative. So one of the things that I have done, I think, very well is to really sort of limit my circle of friends because I need to think about how I use my energy and but make sure that the people that I that I'm surrounded by are people that are very positive, people that are very nurturing, people that are very encouraging. I want to create an environment where my growth is being nurtured, where an environment where I can thrive. I don't want to just exist because I have a disease. I also want to thrive. And so I make sure that the people in my life are people that can sort of water my garden, so to speak, so that my flowers can bloom. And and those things are important. So if we have toxic relationships, those are going to tax us even more. And they're going to tax our mental health and well-being. So it's important to do those things. It's also important to be comfortable with your doctors, to have discussions about what you're feeling and be open with those things, be transparent and ask your doctors questions about depression and, you know, anxiety and, and not be afraid to ask those questions and, and tax them to change the, their thinking about, about mental health. You know, challenge them um, so that they, they can recognize that, like you, that they also are not exempted from feeling. So they can feel as well. They can feel anger. They can feel a lot of things. So you challenge your doctors to sort of not be afraid to talk about emotion, to destigmatize emotions and to talk about it, talk about mental health. When you think about the medications that we take, like prednisone, many doctors don't talk to patients about, you know, the mental health aspect and the, the implications of prednisone. And so you have a lot of vasculitis patients that experience, you know, the impact of prednisone on a mental health level, you know, in ways in ways that are really, really challenging for them. And they don't even know that. Like some some people have like really a, a really difficult time with, with prednisone. I, I think fortunately I have not had that sort of impact of prednisone. But I but I, I am aware and know people that have had really challenging time with prednisone. But the doctor did not even take the time to educate them about some of the side effects of prednisone. And so therefore they were thinking that they were going crazy. And that something was wrong with them, not re- realizing until much later um, that they were having a side effect to, to the prednisone and, it, and that prednisone can impact your mental health in those ways. So I think all of those things are important. We have to educate people about those things. I think we can no longer afford to put mental health on the back burner and just say, well, let's just deal with the physical aspect of the disease. We are a spiritual, you know, bio um, psychosocial being, you know, we are mind, body, and spirit, and they're all interconnected. And I think it's time that we begin to deal with vasculitis on those levels as well. So when when you first diagnosed with a, with, a, with vasculitis, I think it's imperative that doctors begin to talk about you know mental health as well, not just the physical. And I know it's beyond the scope of what they can do, but they can kind of direct clients in, and patients in a way that patient can from the beginning access, you know mental health um, sort of support, like that specialist, and that specialist was actually a GI, but she, she was, it, it was because of her that I, very early on in my diagnosis, you know, did a lot of work on my mental health and well-being, and, and was able to kind of do that work, and now I can kind of talk about being, feeling stable mentally, and, and having that sense of balance, and really sort of striving for optimal health and well-being, recognizing that you know, there'll always be limitations. The losses will keep coming because vasculitis evolves in your life and it, it takes up a lot of real estate, but also recognizing that, you know, that in the space that it's taking up, it's, you know, 
you you also exist, right? So you you will experience a number of emotions and they will change. They will not stay the same. That's hence the reason why emotions are not permanent. You're not going to feel overwhelmed every single day and you're not going to feel anxious every single day of your life, of your remaining life, right? So it's recognizing that those are not permanent things. And I think those are some of the things that my therapist has helped me to do really well and that I have been able to do well. And I think I've been fortunate to, to just be a mental health person. Um, you know, having the expertise in mental health has served me really, really well. Like I have been able to develop a lot of tools using my experience that I can use on myself, test them out on myself and see how, how I do with those. And then I've been able to share them with other vasculitis patient. I think being a mental health clinician has been really also been pivotal in in my way of working through this this disease. Many people are not fortunate to to be a mental health clinician and also have the disease. And so it's kind of like that dual lens, but I also have to be careful not to kind of like, you know, sort of be just sort of an expert because I, I have to know when I need to be the patient and when I need to be the expert. So I have to balance the two. But it has given me a lot of insight about, you know, my own mental health and well-being and how I am translating and, and moving through that process and how I can also help people. So it's a combination of things that, you know, I do from a day-to-day perspective. So I think a lot of patients have to be really starting from the base of knowing who you are, understanding who you are, that you're not a sum of your disease, that, you know, you're a person with, you know, different things like you know you have hopes you have fears but you also have um, ambitions you know you have values you have strengths and so to work from a it's important to know your strengths so you can kind of approach things from a strength perspective otherwise you'll constantly be approaching it from a weakness point and so therefore the problem evolves and, and sort of loom larger in your life so it's important to know what your strengths uh, so you can use your strength to sort of complement, you know, the things that are happening. So I, I think it's important to know those things. And when you know those things and to understand, really, I think there needs to be a lot of psychoeducation around what emotions really are, as opposed to people having the idea that emotions can be good or bad, right or wrong. So if you feel anxious, you don't want to feel anxious. And then you have a lot of people who begin to fear, you know, anxiety itself, which makes the anxiety worse. So I think we need to, in the vascularized community and those of us who have the privilege of, of having expertise, need to come together and begin to develop a lot of mental health education tools around how we approach vasculitis. You know, then there just needs to be more education on, on different aspects, mental health aspects of managing vasculitis. But in particular, just people learning more about emotions and how to regulate emotions, how to build resilience capacity and enhance those capacities that people already have. I mean, people like to talk about resilience and think that only some people are resilient, but everyone has the capacity for resilience. The question becomes, are we activating some of those capacities? Do people know how to activate their internal resources and do they know how to access external resources? Are those things accessible? Like, can they access them? Um, you know, can they negotiate the resources that, that are there? Can they navigate those resources? Are we teaching them how to do those things? Do people know how to mitigate some of the things that's coming at them? You know, how, how are they absorbing what's coming at them and, and how are they transforming? Those are all ways that we teach. We sort of enhance and inculcate resilience in, in people. And I think we have to begin to do some of those things and teach people some of those things. That is how people will get through some of the mental health aspects of vasculitis. 
Yeah, I, I find my uh, myself. I mean, everything you're saying is, is so relatable. My my neck is sore because I feel like I've been just nodding my head uh, nonstop <laughs> for like 30, 30 minutes uh, straight here. <laughs> but but uh, you know, and I look at this this spectrum of what as patients, like I said, extremely relatable. Every every point you make here, and I mean, Kaylee talks about uh, her experience. I I think of my own, for whatever reason, uh, my my own struggle with inherent stoicism and through and that impacting my own uh, just the path to, towards diagnosis and uh, immediate uh, aftermath of that and and for whatever reason not wanting to really convey to my team of doctors how I actually felt just from that again it's it's sort of that that unknown uh, place you have to go deep to kind of figure out like wh- why do I want people to just assume I'm I'm okay if I'm clearly not and and doctors could could see that uh uh, pretty easily. So uh, everything you say is, is has been great, and uh, and this has been such a, I think, an enlightening conversation. And I think too about the fact that we do have so many medical professionals who listen to this podcast and subscribe, and and are are interested to to take some of these patient experiences as well. And and you know, Kaylee and I, we we kind of give our own you know little snippets each episode, but but also as it relates to the the greater discussion here and. And I and I I also realize, and I've said this before, we are. I feel pretty fortunate uh, in our community that the doctors in general we've had that are really involved, especially in, in vasculitis, are ones who do treat patients, kind of going that extra mile and, and treating patients as real people who are multidimensional, not just a, a disease and and kind of a chart to uh, to treat in that way, but just thinking about how doctors can continue that, that own conversation in, in their heads and, and how it relates to treating patients. I, I just remember seeing one of your webinars, uh, Dr. Mockett, and, and you, you had this term, uh, the construction zone of, of our own, uh, basically our, our own beings going through this disease, which I, I thought was just a, a brilliant term. And, and again, it's something that is very relatable, kind of speaking to the, the notion that there are so many different uh, factors. And even for people like me and, and I consider myself in that that lucky category of people whose diseases are pretty well managed uh, at this point. But but even with that, I, there are still struggles and there are still uh, it's certainly a work in progress. So it, it, it goes into that uh, construction zone, I guess, terminology. Kaylee, I assume I assume you are in the same boat, even though I, I, I mean, I, knowing you, I feel like you're you're kind of similar and that you you're pretty well controlled as far as your disease. But there are still uh, little things that, that you still have to deal with. I, I assume I'm I'm not wrong in saying that. <laughs> Absolutely. But I also think uh, it's kind of unexpectedly difficult in that way because there's kind of the survivor's guilt aspect where you're like, well, why is my disease so controlled compared to, you know, my friends and colleagues and associates that have vasculitis that isn't? But also, like, you know, I kind of... Um, in my approach to mental health was thinking, all right, well, when I physically feel better, I'll mentally feel better. And that is not the case. And even with my, you know, disease being more in control and I'm in remission, knock on wood, uh, it's still, you know, I don't feel like I've completely healed from the diagnosis five years ago. Uh, and I think it's, it's just a different timeline. And I think um, there's a lot that goes into it. And that's why I'm so excited that Dr. Mockett uh, was willing to dive deep into all of this. Yeah, well, and, and the thing too, like, and you can speak to this a little bit uh, as well, Dr. Market, but the thing about construction zones is that they are inherently messy. <laughs> it's not, there's uh, there's debris and dust that's flying everywhere. It's, it's not supposed to be a, a super clean and controlled 
job sites. I, when when I when I was watching that, uh, Doctor Market, I, I saw you make that uh, you know that that comparison. And I, I just I feel like that's such a, a brilliant way of saying it because it is it is true, and and uh, life is nuanced, and our journeys are are not uh, black and white. There's there's a lot that goes on, and and I think that's a good by by expressing that. I think it is it is a positive thing for our doctors who listen to this to, to know and, and to help them shape a little bit the way they can just approach uh, treatment as a whole when it comes to that that post remission phase and and you're you're on you're on the treatment but now it's what's that next step yeah i mean for me like i i love that analogy of a construction zone and and the reason i use that is like sometimes people think that everything has to happen all at once. Like, you know, why am I not feeling better? It's like, you know, Kelly said, like, you know, you think, well, why is this person in remission? I'm not. And, and that has been something that I've had to sort of keep really under control is the fact that I have continued to struggle with it. And, and I've watched other people go in remission and things like that. So, um, you know, the construction zone analogy just kind of like made it cemented it for me is just kind of thinking about this is a construction zone. I am I am, you know, under construction and then, you know, I can't go at ninety clicks in in a fifty zone or in a construction zone. Like, you know, I have to kind of take it slowly one step at a time. And so it, it reminds me to just drive with go with caution and, and don't be, you know, too quick to judge myself or even others. I mean, would I I would love for doctors to begin to look at vasculitis you know, and look at patient as a holistic being and to begin to look at vasculitis from a holistic point of view and do integrative medicine and not just, and I, and I would like for them to be able to not just think about people from an acute care perspective. I think too often our system is, is catering more so towards acute care. And so for those of us with chronic illness, we not only just fall through the gap, we are in the pothole. We are like deep in the pothole. People like to say, well, you fall through the crack. There's no crack. There's a pothole. And nobody wants to admit that we are in the pothole of care because we have chronic illness and you go to emerge and then they say to you, well, um, this is emergency and I'm an emergency doctor. So I, I don't know what to do. I once had an emergency doctor tell me, well, you should just do the FODMAP diet. And I just sort of look at and smile. And another one once said to me, even after telling me that my heart rate was 148, and that I and recognizing that I had a high fever, he just looked at me and said to me, "This is an emergency, and I'm an emergency doctor. I, I don't know anything about vasculitis, and discharge me. Not even think about well, should I consult with a rheumatologist or anything like that, right? So I would like for the medical field to kind of think about things not just from an acute care perspective, but recognize that you know people come to you for multiple reasons, and we come to you when we are at the most vulnerable state." And, and some people have acute care concerns and some people have chronic care concerns. And I, and I recognize that when you're an emergency, you know, people are, you know, really looking at acute things like a heart attack and things like that. But but it's to also look at us as, as human beings who are going for an experience and and that, you know, we also need that sort of like concern and that care and, and not just kind of look at us as our case. Like people just look at you and they say, well, you're a complex case and they sort of dismiss you. And I think because we accept that, we learn to sort of like internalize that and we make that part of who we are. And so we don't advocate for ourselves. We don't speak out. We don't talk about our illness narrative. Illness has its own narrative and we don't we don't talk about that. We don't talk about, you know, the experiences that we're having because we, we are ashamed and we, we are made to feel ashamed and we are, we feel embarrassed about talking about it. We don't want our friends or our family to know. 
So I think one of the things that I have just said is like, no, I will, I want people to know how I feel. And if I feel angry, I'm going to say I feel angry. And if I feel irritable, I'm going to say I feel irritable. And you may not like it, but that's how I feel. Am I going to be destructive in my behavior? No, but I am going to acknowledge how I feel. And part of being in a construction zone is when things get messy, they don't just run away. They try to problem solve. They try to figure out, okay, do we need to put steel beams? Do we need to put some concrete? Do we need to do something? So they try to fix the problem and they try to kind of problem solve. So I think it's just about, you know, doctors and therapists and everybody involved in that person's care, um, helping to sort of like, you know, kind of think about how do we find solutions to some of the issues that you're experiencing? Um, how do we, you know, empower you to make a difference in your own life so that you can look at yourself from a strength point of view as opposed to a weakness point of view? I think one of the things that I'm learning is that when we see ourselves or when someone sees us as only one thing and one thing only, which is the disease, that's who we become. Uh, and so I've just refused to become the disease. And I, I often will remind myself that I am not the disease. And I, and I actually wrote a piece on, on, on that, you know, a couple of years ago, um, talking about I am not the disease. And, and it's, it was important for me to write that just because I wanted my friends and my families to know that, right? Because sometimes people start to sort of treat you differently um, because, you know, by virtue of having a disease, you, you have become fragile and you've become incapable of thinking for yourself or feeling and, and knowing what you feel. So I think it's important for us to understand what it is that we're going through, to really take the time to empower ourselves, to make a difference in our lives, to know what we're experiencing, to understand emotion, to talk about it, to talk about mental health, not be embarrassed to talk about mental health. I think we have to bring mental health to the forefront of vasculitis discussion. If we don't, we will, we will find ourselves many years to come with a number of people with vasculitis who are having significant mental health challenges and then they will become those mental health illness because that's how they're going to be seen um, and then when they will be talking about the experiences that they're having or what they, the symptoms that they're feeling nobody's going to take them seriously like what happened to you Kelly because people are going to think well you know they're depressed um, and, they, and they're going to be very condescending in telling you that, that, that you're depressed so I think you know those of us who, who have the capacity to do so, who have the voice, we need to use that voice and use that platform to really bring mental health in vasculitis to the forefront, to really advocate for mental health research in vasculitis and to really advocate for funding to do those mental health research in vasculitis. There's, there's very few research on mental health and vasculitis. So mental health, quality of life, well-being, emotional health and well-being, we need to understand those things. We need to explain those things. I, I, I try to do that in, in some of the webinars that I've had. But, you know, of course, you know, you can't reach everyone and you, you can, you know, you, you can only do so much. But, but of course, would I like to do more webinars and stuff? And would I like to do more education thing? Sure, if the opportunity presents itself for me to um, educate people and to support people, of course, I, I will do so. But I think it's important for us to think about you know, vasculitis does change the plot. It takes up a lot of real estate in, in, in someone's life, and it does change the plot. And begin, starting change is a daunting task. And to tell someone that they have to transform and become a different kind of themselves, a different kind of, I had to become a different kind of me. I'm not the same person I was five years ago. 
you, you have to be open and willing to, to transform and to evolve uh, and to let go. You have to be willing to accept. And most times people say to me, well, if I accept, I'm saying that I am the disease. No, if you accept, you're saying the contrary. You're saying I'm not the disease. You're accepting the reality of the situation for what it is, and you're recognizing what your limitations are, but you're also recognizing your strength and your resilience capacities. And you're saying, you know, I am going to evolve and transform and become the best butterfly that I can be. You know, I'm not going to remain a caterpillar. I'm going to become a butterfly. And the best one that I can become, the best version of me that I can become given the circumstances. So that's what acceptance is. It's about recognizing, you know, the role that those, the disease is playing, the impact it's having on your life, and and, rec- and recognizing, you know, you have experienced some losses, but you can still evolve and move beyond that. And so when you accept that this is the disease and this is these are the things that it that will potentially happen, you are one step. You know, this is the first step in, in, the, in the process of transformation and the process of change in the process of renewal and, and hope. But as long as we think that we are the disease, we're going to remain hopeless. And, and so I think it's just important for people to just recognize that. So, so yeah, so I think for me, that's, that's how I came up with the idea of the constructions. And it's just recognizing that things change, they evolve, they, they need to be repaired, they they need, we need new things, like you need new bridges, you need new connections, you need new, new roads. So that's, that's how I, I see vasculitis. That's how I see it sort of evolving and, and the response to it. That's what I see is needed is, is recognizing that this is a construction zone. It's, it's a team effort. It really is. But uh, having this sort of dialogue is, is how you can uh, further that, that discussion. And uh, I think having you on and, and seeing some of your work, uh, Velma, it's been, uh, it's been incredibly powerful. And I think it definitely has uh, had that, uh, that impact that I think we're all uh, looking for as, as far as just furthering the conversation, having a real impact. Uh, I, I, it's funny, I feel like I've said this on a bunch of our, our episodes. I feel like we could go another uh, hour talking about this because there are so many intricacies. And I, I think certainly that the timing of this, uh, it, it's good that we're having you on now, while, uh, as, as I certainly know, I think we've all dealt with uh, some of these these same things even more so being in the middle of a, a long pandemic that that is continuing to uh, to go on and, and has well hopefully some end in sight but it is, it's certainly going to be at the forefront on the forefront of our minds and impacting things for at least uh, several more months so uh, I, I just feel like having this now is um, it, it's a, a good way to have it uh, Kaylee I know you you feel you feel the same way and I think we're both uh, just incredibly grateful for uh, to just have the ability of of this conversation and having it so uh, wide ranging and, and in depth. Yeah, it's important, especially now. I mean, with the pandemic that this is compounding the mental health impact of any disease for, for a number of people. And so if you have not had access to any mental health when, you know, during your diagnosis period with vasculitis and now you have the pandemic, this is this is definitely compounding the issue. So I think it's important for people to connect with, with other people, you know, during the pan, you know, in this period of, of difficulty because, you know, it's easy to get isolated. And so it's really important to just have that connection, whether it's through webinars, whether it's through um, Facebook, whether it's through other um, social media platforms, just connecting with the vasculitis community, recognizing 
that you know a pandemic will throw different things in there as well and so like vasculitis it is also changing the plot and so it's thinking about you know what are some of the things that i can do so for example you know really trying to ground yourself so they're really sort of like practical grounding technique that i have been using that that other people can use to help them like so for example i i really utilize water and, and music therapy quite a bit so for me water is very therapeutic and so the the idea of grounding myself by taking showers or baths, you know, you know, maybe twice in a day or once a day, and, and and incorporating music therapy with that and some aroma therapy with that, you know, finding some good like scented oil like vanilla, like lavender and rosemary and some of the sage and some of those really good grounding, um, you know, sort of like oils and stuff like that. I combine those three and and that sort of helps me to remain calm. And thing I also use like you know sort of kinesiology exercises like I I work you know with someone who has a background in functional um, sort of exercises and, and kinesiology and so I do different like stretches and, and and it's really good because he really helps me to connect with my body. One of the things that I discover in the process when you have a chronic illness that is debilitating that really attack your organs and your tissue and your you know your vital body. Um, parts you you lose connection with your body and sometimes you end up not trusting your body anymore because it's it's deceived you it's not doing the things that it used to do so working with with this functional sort of like you know person that that knows kinesiology very well it helps you to really connect with your body again to really not be afraid to be in your body again and so those the, the exercises that that he does with me is really individualized and tailored to me. Like, you know, he does, he did a full scope assessment with me first. And then we, um, we just kind of, he just sort of like do different exercises and, and it's, and it's very well, nicely done. And you feel, I feel really connected to someone that's understanding, you know, what I'm going through and, and he listens and, and then he can give me different exercises. And the nice thing is in the pandemic that's keeping it going is that we can do it for Zoom and no matter where you are, you can do it for Zoom. So that's that's really nice. So I think it's just finding the things that you can do. Um, doing art therapy. Art therapy is good. Like, you know, writing, um, write journal writing or, you know, drawing. You can, you can sketch your emotions, for example. And so if you get things out of your head, they're not in your head causing havoc. It's like, you know, writing what you're thinking and feeling, sketching that out, you know, using the control circle to kind of help you to kind of ground yourself in what can I control? What's in my immediate control right now? and then focusing on the things that you can control. Certainly in a pandemic, your control circle is going to look much smaller. And, and so it is important to, to be you know, realistic about what you can and cannot do in a pandemic. Um, but, but just to just reach out and, and talk to the people. You know, sometimes I use, when I find that my mind is getting overwhelmed, I use numbers. So for example, I take 100 and I can come backwards from 100 in groups of threes, you know, fours or seven. And what I've does, just done is complicated the, the matter, right? Because if I'm going like 197, 94, 91, eventually it gets harder. And, and then that means my brain is going to start focusing on what's the next number as opposed to what is overwhelming me. And so what I'm doing is distracting my brain. So those are good grounding techniques that I use. Sometimes I may also use things like um, using the letters of the alphabet, for example, and trying to do them either backwards or trying to kind of think of names of people, names of animals or names of places and just use random letters and, and then just kind of try to kind of think about that, that distract the mind. 
Or you can just use your five senses and think about, you know, four things you can smell, five things you can see, um, three things you can touch. What can you taste? What can you hear? And, and, and that helps you to kind of ground yourself. So I think it's important in this difficult time for people to kind of think about how do I ground myself? How do I remain calm? How do I practice mindfulness in this moment? And that, that is key to good mental health and well-being in the time of a pandemic. How do I connect? Um, not staying isolated and connecting with, you know, people. What I mean, some webinars may be free, some you may have to pay, you may have to pay for. But you know, sometimes you know, you have to invest in your own health and well-being. And hopefully they're not very expensive. So if you see one that is, you know, interesting, I would encourage people to, of course, you know, register for some of those webinars and, and learn something. Ask questions. Don't just sit silently when you go to, when you attend a webinar. You know, ask questions. Uh, so that you can get the full the fullness out of that, and you can kind of feel like you know you you invested time and maybe sometimes money into it, and that you can get that back in return by asking questions and being involved. So before you go onto the webinar, I would encourage people to write at least two questions. Think about what do I know about vasculitis? Write that down. What do I not know about vasculitis? Write that down. What would I like to know about vasculitis? And then write that down, and then that helps you to ask pertinent questions. So I would encourage people to do things like that. Um, you know, obviously with the pandemic, we cannot do things like massages and things like that. But integrative care is very important, which is why I have, you know, been seeing, you know, the person that, that does functional exercises and have the experience in kinesiology. I also kind of sometimes see an acupuncturist and things like that. So it's about, you know, really doing integrative holistic care. And I think that's that's and then seeing my therapies and all of those things, those help you to and people may say to me, well, that's kind of strange. You're a mental health expert um, and you you have a therapist. And my answer to that is, why not? I'm a person. I have feelings. I have struggles. I have challenges. I have a disease that's evolving. That's, you know, in ways, many in ways that I have no control over. It is definitely outside my control circle. So I so to to them I say, why not? Right? And and what exempt me from that? Emotions are equal opportunity offenders. <laughs> they don't choose. You could be a doctor, a lawyer, a therapist. You are going to feel emotion and the only way you're not gonna feel it is if you're dead. So I always say to people, I'm not striving to be relentlessly positive. I am not I don't have dead people goal to say that I don't want to feel. And so I think I'm open to the winds and, and the turns and everything. So I, I think having a therapist is a good thing for me. And, and I actually really love the therapeutic alliance that we have developed over the years. And I love talking to her and, and I trust her. And I think she has made a, a huge contribution to my um, life and, and how I've been nav navigating vasculitis. Because I think without her challenging me and, and pushing me, I would not have been... I would have come to those conclusions, but not at the not how I came to it. It would have taken me a longer road to get there and maybe more destruction. So I am really grateful that for that specialist that encouraged me to have my own space and for that therapist that took the time with me and did not push me in the beginning, but sat in my silence. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that, that she did that. Uh, and, and now I can really honestly say that because of that, um, a lot of things have come out of that, like the journal, for example, the project R came out of my sessions. 
and many things that you know i there's a, i have a workbook on emotions there's another workbook that i have developed on um resilience i have developed another workbook on how to have a beautiful mind so how to think how to really manage the way that you think about things and then i'm in the process of developing a workbook on how to work for anxiety so i think because of a lot of those things have come come about and i have I really am appreciative of that process. So I'm not ashamed of, of having experienced emotions and, and grief and loss. And I'm not ashamed to say that I, I, I do see a therapist and I think it's important. And I think when people like us can, can say that without shame and without feeling embarrassed, I think other people will realize that, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed about and we can destigmatize mental health and people will be able to access the help that they, that they need. And we can kind of begin to see people having more, you know, wholeness and more holistic care. So, you know, that's that's how I think, you know, people will get through is to just really engage in the process and not be embarrassed or ashamed by what they're feeling, but reaching out. Thank you so much, Dr. Market. I really appreciate your emphasis on connection and thank you for connecting with us and for our listeners. I think uh, it's just really been a great episode and we really appreciate your time and guidance with this very complex but super important issue. You guys are more than welcome. Well, thanks for um, considering me and for inviting me on, on your show. I, I really am happy that you guys are taking this step in, in the vasculitis community and, and trying to you know, shed light on vasculitis and, and give patients a space. And also, you know, all the medical team that support us that, are, that understand vasculitis, that, that are there with us through, you know, those difficult moments. It also gives them that platform to really sort of educate patients as well. And, you know, vice versa. So I think it's a twofold process. And I'm, I'm happy that you guys, you know, have this platform to do so. So so thanks for creating this platform and, and thanks for, you know, giving your time to that, you know, weekly or, you know, however time you guys, you know, donate towards that. Thanks for giving us your time as well. All right. Thanks to Dr. Velma Markets. Uh, such a great uh, episode, Kaylee. And I, I feel like we touched on on, on a lot of things. And at the same time, there are still so many more things that can be talked about in the, the mental health sphere as it relates to vasculitis. But this was a good start for sure. I think so. And it gave people, uh, at least in my mind, a lot to reflect on. Um, I know I talk a lot about being on the East Coast, being from Georgetown and, and having a background with the Jesuits. Uh, but to me, cura personalis, uh, care of the whole person, uh, is something that comes up a lot in, in our conversation with Dr. Mockett. And I really hope that that helps people shape, uh, well, practitioners, but also patients shape their relationship with vasculitis going forward. Yeah, definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of ideas we can all take and, and reflect on going forward. And as I was saying at the end, especially in this time, right, of a <laughs> in global pandemic, it's, if you weren't already thinking about this stuff before, it's, it's good uh, to go ahead and uh, do that now. Of course, we, as always, want to thank our sponsors for helping make this episode and all of our other episodes possible in GSK and Genentech. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Check out our other podcast episodes, which are all available on our uh, Apple and Spotify pages. So, uh, Kaylee, we're getting into fall, believe it or not. That's kind of crazy. But uh, when I when I see you next time, we, we are going to continue our, our batch of fall guests and uh, hopefully continue the, the trek back to a somewhat uh, normal. See, I suppose. So anyway, 
I, I hope we can uh, we can all get there soon. But uh, it's always a, always a pleasure to have you on another I feel like successful episode, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next time.